after your family perished in the solar flare, and I have sent them back to their most treasured memories where they live forever on Horaeth. And you can join them. But first, you must do something for me. Unbelievers are spreading years from now. I need you to go there and eradicate them. All of them. And welcome to the Laps Gamer Podcast. Tonight I am joined by our regular team member, Mark Hamer. I'm in mourning this evening. Well, I'm in mourning for the last week or so. Let me just pull one out for my boy, Chris Cornell. Uh, we are also very happy to have another special guest on. So tonight we have Chris Kelly from Enter Yes Limited. Hello, Chris. Hiya, how are you doing? <laughs> Not too bad. How's things with you? Yeah, good, 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 good. Um, agreed. Sad week, Chris Cornell. Um, the, yeah, life is good. Studio is good. Well, considering, yeah, you've been particularly busy, uh, seemingly this week anyway. Um, just trying to get hold of you and get everything set up for the show uh, tonight. Um, even then, you were what, up in meetings until what, seven o'clock or so tonight? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, the, joys of owning a studio or running a studio you kind of uh, you don't really get the clock off regular hours so that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all good yeah right we'll dive into it then so you are chris kelly and you are the managing director of enter yes limited uh, which is a media um studio based in uh, northern ireland um, in belfast uh, specifically indeed tell us a little bit more just about what the studio does um i know you cover sort of animation television film and you're now dipping your toes into um games and what have you as well uh with the sort of the, the release of beyond Terrieth. Um, on mobile and it's looking at um, Oculus VR as well. It is indeed. Um, the studio basically, like you said, covers a lot of different kind of formats and platforms and, and mediums. The, I guess, uh, if, if I was to explain it, it sort of, um, it comes from what my interests were in uh, with regards to studio. I did own, um, and still do own an, another company that basically was in visual effects and animation. I studied animation at university and that was kind of my thing that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And then out of, um, my interest of the sort of interactive space, um, Enter Yes was born and kind of it really started looking at kind of service work for interactive and how we kind of, uh, kind of grew as a studio and kind of offering a service within games and interactive and animation at the same time and maybe not so much in uh, visual effects and how Mm -hmm. we could create our own IP at the same time and sort of balance those two things. So that's essentially what the studio does. Provides a service for BBC on a lot of animation stuff and and then on the other end it kind of creates its own um, properties like Children and Geometry or Beyond Horizon. Yeah. I'm just looking at the um, sort of list of people that you've worked with. It's people like the BBC, HBO, Disney, Sony, TriStar Pictures, um, Erica Starling, the Indie Move Productions, um, as well as creating and producing BAFTA-nominated Here to Fall and current BFI-backed um, production Winnie and the Wolf King. It's, mm-hmm. That's a fairly massive resume and fairly impressive resume. Uh, yeah, definitely very, kind of been very lucky. I've kind of been very lucky to work with other really, um, with much more talented people than me. And I, I guess I've, I've put a lot of hours in, I've put a lot of work in and that's the kind of result of it in a lot of ways. But, um, the clients, yeah, BBC have been fantastic. Um, the HBO stuff came out of joining things like screen leaders in Dublin and kind of meeting other film producers and then was asked to, to work on a documentary. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we've done, and for example, the Erica Starling stuff has animation in it. It's always kind of leans towards animation complementing live action video stuff mm-hmm. or, or for example, moving into the VR space. There was a cross kind of pollination with the BBC saying, look, you do our animation stuff. And, and there was one particular producer in there at the time called Nigel um, McAlpin wanted to try something in 
uh, VR. He pitched it to his people and he approached us and said, look, do you think you could do what you do within the documentary and sort of animation space? And bring that into VR and that that was kind of natural progression from one kind of medium to the other for us. Um, and the, that kind of philosophy sort of works within the studio. It's like we really want to produce kind of beautiful content or content we really care about. And mm. we find a way to do that and whatever platform we feel is either appropriate or somebody asks us to do in. So that's the approach, but that that kind of means we can hop between clients that we like and projects that we like because we're we're a bit broader. Certainly looking at some of the um, features and things that you've worked on, you're certainly not afraid to shy away from any of the sort of tougher subjects and things like that. Prefer that. definitely prefer that. I think a lot of the times it's more rewarding. Um, I did at one point work in the ad industry and kind of did commercials and sometimes they had kind of big enough budgets and you'd really feel under pressure but like they were for things that I don't really believe in or care about to be honest and then you start doing for example on a kind of personal level I worked uh, with Lizzie Lambley on the uh, Living With Alcohol and she was like can you do animation stuff in this I've seen your stuff that you've done for Richard Curtis and the comic relief stuff and joined the project and like you're kind of helping kids with parents with alcohol problems. Like you're always going to come out at the end of that feeling a hell of a lot better about yeah. on a, on a very selfish level. But at the same time, it is a much better thing to try and help people <laughs> and communicate those ideas. So if we can do that, I much prefer doing that than trying to sell something on an advert. If that makes any sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, you've also then got listed that you were a writer, director, and producer on the BAFTA nominated Here to Fall. Um, which was also then nominated for Best Short Animation at the 2013 Raindance Film Festival. Yeah, yeah, no, that was, that was fun. That was probably the first time I kind of... That, that was, for me, probably the first time I thought, okay, well, when I get asked to do these projects for BBC or these different clients, they they come... Yeah, it is a service, and they come along and they say, look, here, how am I going to do this? So Richard Curtis goes, for example, how am I going to explain malaria? Uh, oh, no, the dangers of malaria in a way that isn't kind of boring but it's sort of exciting but at the same time kind of uh gets the point across and is emotional and that it's not just this service of like oh how do i animate that but it's like how do i emotionally connect with people and how do i tell that story and then once you start doing that i felt a little bit confident about kind of trying to create a story from scratch and um what i wanted to do at the time we're here to fall was um kind of have a look at how parents might have separation issues with um, their kids and, and how their children might feel. And uh, I wanted to pick a sub- subject like that and then look at it from through kind of kids' eyes and then kind of create a character that uses technology to connect to what is essentially her father figure who, in a cyclical sense, always lets her down. And then mm-hmm. imagine that in a way that is um, kind of sometimes surreal and sometimes literal. And that was the the plan with that. And then it, it, we have at the time applied for the Irish Film Boards for some funding to do that and kind of went through the process and then we're lucky enough to get nominated for a film BAFTA and it was good crack and fun and gives I guess builds confidence in a way yeah so looking at then from um, these sort of visual effects and things was it a natural progression to then start working in um, sort of the more interactive experiences um, and even towards games things like um, you know children of um, geometry and ghosts of um, fate file and retina and then obviously um beyond terrieth um yeah definitely uh, well to a certain extent the my interest in interactive stuff kind of predated any sort of visual effects i did it, i guess it's just sort of different opportunities came up at different times and uh, i guess i at the time i was running a studio called um black north and i, I was very friendly with a guy um who's quite influential in Belfast with regards to film and TV and animation and the university there called Greg McGuire. And he uh-huh. put us in contact with people who felt they could outsource some of their work. Um, and it, what they did was send you a couple of clips and it was actually Jack and Jill, Adam Sandler film and Katie Holmes film that they sent uh-huh. me kind of like, here, if you can do this, um, we'll totally give you some of our shots. Um, Cause we've got like a hundred of them and we can farm out a number of them too. Mm. And they sent uh, a couple of shots. And I, at that time, I was very much involved in the actual working in a st- 
studio opposed to um, just running it. So yeah. it was like late nights, loads of pizza with other people working away <laughs> on the on these shots, and we just totally nailed them. And the studio really loved them. And when they moved off Jack and Jill and started Looper, they said, "Look, do you want to join Looper and do some shots on this?" But like they always give us the really crappy hard ones, and they took the really cool ones. So you're removing things. Like there was one kind of slightly rotund kid getting pulled down a slide that you had to remove the the safety cable. And like it, even to this day, I can't, I can sort of can't believe we did that because it was like ridiculous the amount of work and like, but when it's, when it's the kind of, when you're sitting in Belfast and you kind of want to do work outside of Belfast and somebody's in San Francisco sending the shots on Hollywood features, it's kind of the, the fact that you're there for 72 hours kind of blurs and you forget yeah. about it a bit <laughs> until you do a load of them and um, like we did. And then, um, you kind of, decide you try to get more in-house doing your own thing and we moved on to a film called good vibrations at the time where one mm. of the producers there said look do you do you want to do you want to do the whole film like mm-hmm. i'll give you a fraction of what like the you would pay for it in soho in london yeah but but we kind of reckon you could do it and so people just uh, are in a position to take a risk and uh, that same film producer well one of the film producers on that um not necessarily the main one in the film or anything but one of them is is what we're cla- who we're collaborating collaborating with to create winnie and the wolf king so it's always kind of relationships and kind of just actually getting the work done and finishing it and making sure the person's happy and then generally they come back with something because they're running about trying to start projects at the same time so so it works I guess. Yeah. Um, certainly whenever we've spoken to any of the other developers and things, it's definitely a case of having at least, you know, three or four, um, projects almost overlapping each other. Um, just because as soon as you sort of get one finished, you'd rather be halfway through another one, um, to get it done as opposed to starting from scratch each time. Oh, absolutely. Like we'd, we'd have 12 projects on the go at a time. Wow. Like, uh, it, uh, some like super early development, some in the middle of production, some needing to get out. <laughs> yeah. um, and like, but you can't, uh, that, that's one of the reasons why I think you need to, um, kind of be broad in a city like Belfast because it's it's there's one thing that's very different than London it's not the talent it's not the kind of enthusiasm for stuff it's literally the population and the amount of people and the kind of uh, things like that so if you're diverse then you can do more projects and you can have more flowing through the studio and you need that when you need when you have people to pay at the end of the month yeah what about you've also um directed an, an actual film as well the uh kings of sumava mm-hmm. um the kings of sumava is finishing it should be finished the end of this month or next month um it's uh it'll be the first feature documentary that i've um i was asked to kind of collaborate with a company in Czech Republic called Buying Out Films. And they do a lot of the basically TV over there. And uh, they've won loads of what is essentially like the Czech equivalent of the bath is called Czech Lions. And they're, they're mm-hmm. a really cool guy called Radislav Slayer. And acting rarely said his second name. Um, but basically he was on a course with me and screen leaders and said, look, I've got this project. HBO have kind of seed, kind of started it and funded it. And uh, we think you would be the perfect person to, to look at this. And that put me in a funny position because I was running the studio doing the, BBC work and kind of running it like an MD and kind of leaving that, making a transition between actually working in the studio that's set up to just coordinating it and running it and, and creating new projects. Um, mm-hmm. but I thought it's a good opportunity to do something that with a longer format and bigger scale. So t- take it, do it. So I've been working on that for the last sort of two years, wow. um, or a little bit more actually. Yeah, that's quite a feat. Um, so it is obviously, you're working in that industry and what have you, but to say that you've sat down and directed something as well is pretty impressive. Yeah, no, it's cool. Like those things, it's kind of funny because like the BAFTA's good crack sitting beside Samuel Jackson and George Clooney and all these <laughs> random people that I'm probably never going to see again. But like, it's actually not that good a crack at the time. It's more fun making <laughs> the animation or whatever. And you, you kind of realize that like when you start doing the, the HBO Kings of Shimova thing, first few months is very exciting. And then a year or two in, you realize it's work for everybody in it. And that's like mm-hmm. you to put your head down. 
um, uh, balance all this stuff out, but from an overlap of technology and things like what we did end up creating out of that that kind of shows how we kind of cross-pollinate or at least how I personally pull things together is that we started developing in-house a thing called Alistair. Now, it's not on the website or anything like that, and it's kind mm-hmm. of supported by InvestNI at the moment, but I'll probably talk about it more in the coming months, like online, but we use the Google Deep Learning to create a kind of basically <laughs> computer in the company that's called Alistair that mm. picks up a lot of the legwork on the animation in it. So if you think about it, a lot of the animations that we were doing for like BBC and stuff were like shorter, that maybe three minutes, four minutes at a time, yeah. whereas this was going to be 30, 40 minutes of animation. And it had to be the same kind of emotional kind of animation and how we were doing that animation before on the shorter form stuff was that we were drawn every frame or we were kind of doing stuff on the computer and then taking the computer stuff projecting it in the wall and then with charcoal drawing each of the frames so that when you scanned it back in again you got that kind of real organic feel like a oh, young Schwankmeyer yeah. animation kind of loose ugly dirty type thing at times or mm-hmm. or or like the man who planted trees this kind of onerous kind of animation process and the only way to get that was to put the the work into each of the frames so that wasn't really feasible for us for when we were doing something like kings of shumava and when it was scaled up so we created alistair to kind of learn how to learn how the artist was kind of drawn one of the frames so that then it could come in and draw the rest so something that was taking us like maybe a week or two on BBC was taking 15 seconds using Alistair and we were getting the same kind of organic results and you can see it and then the BBC and Erica Starling decided to use Alistair on their the next uh, project they were bringing to us called um, uh, what's it actually called I Escape from San Quentin I think Um, Mm -hmm. a documentary so it's kind of so the the technology thing sort of does overlap even on something that nece- doesn't necessarily look like a tech gig for us, like a documentary mm-hmm. for HBO. I'm pretty sure that's how Skynet starts, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's what everybody keeps saying. <laughs> we were calling it, we were calling it instead of Alistair Hal, or no, not Hal. Sorry, that's what we're calling it Al. <laughs> so there you go. For yourself, how important, um, just sort of generally in the industry, is uh, investment from place things like um, Screen NI or NI Screen and Invest NI and things like that? Uh, you, well, personally, we couldn't survive without it. It's integral, kind of very important part of it. They, and like having a good relationship with them is it's not it doesn't just work in the sense that they give you money. They 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 know as well, and yeah. they kind of um, they kind of steer you towards other really talented people or more or guess more talented people mm-hmm. out there. So for example, you you they might encourage you to go to a market in France to just see what it's like to make mm-hmm. a film or a TV show and and then you end up speaking to people who actually have made them and then you start sort the of wheat from the chaff sort of thing and you realise that okay, these these people here um actually actually listen to them. And uh, uh, that, uh, that, so NI Screen are really good from that point of view, as in they kind of guide you and help you along the way as well. And mm-hmm. they, and then at the same time, they support your projects financially by kind of giving you production loans or development funds and stuff like this. And they're really good with the idea that they're there to support you and not sort of heavily tax you in a way. They kind of seed the thing and get the thing going, but they yeah. don't. They don't just give you grants in a way that is. It's kind of like here's a big chunk of money, go away and dream up your thing. You kind of they they want you to put your money in with it, which to me always makes sense because you have to be invested in this as a business or as an idea that is going to have some sort of return, or it'll just be loads of kind of art style grants given to people that don't create commercial projects. Yeah, which in this part of the industry, I think is important. Yeah, it's better to have something that's actually going to be seen as such as opposed to maybe just like an art installation that. Yeah, which um, I, which I have come a hundred percent respect for as well. On yeah, the other yeah. end of the scene, like a lot of our stuff is inspired by people that do that. Mm-hmm. For example, and people even like Steve McQueen or something, it makes that this decision to shift from being a visual artist, like. Um, 
with his name and the Tate and kind of Turner Prizes and stuff like this and then shift over to kind of Hollywood sort of style features with, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, from Hunger to, well, I guess it's not exactly a Hollywood feature, but in the things <laughs> like 12 Years a Slave, which is a big, yeah. much bigger profile. But like, like there's such an influence and I think all the good projects, like if you think even a Here to Fall, when I think about that, things like, um, I don't know, what, what would I have been influenced by at the time? Um, but I used to watch loads of these old kind of abstract arts videos and stuff that, that inspired or at least gave me ideas of how I'd approach here to fall. So yeah, no, it's really, really important. Um, all of those things. And then we've had arts funding in the past, like SIF and stuff like this here, I think, and for even technology stuff. So mm-hmm. super important. Yeah. Well, you look at how many people um, <clears throat> have moved from the world of music videos and, um, uh, you know, big expensive advertisements into making films like people like uh, Tarsam Singh and um, David Fincher used to do adverts mm, and, mm. and music videos and um, Spike um, Jones. Oh Spike Jones, yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, yeah, pe- they've moved from basically doing visual art into having a full-fledged movie career yeah no absolutely like one of the people that um actually endorsed or at least one of them endorsed maybe the wrong word but um it was sat at my table in the baftas which was kind of cool was warp films who were there because lynn ramsey couldn't make it and they had they had made this film called the swimmer that was up for best film we were like we were our best short film and we were up for sort of best short animation and they um they had said this, oh, like, we really loved it and all. And, and in a joke and kind of were like, we voted for yours sort of thing. And that, that was like a really big moment for me because I absolutely love this stuff. Uh, like, I mean, they, they, they would have been out of all the cool kind of celebs and people there. Like, they were the people that I kind of want would want to impress in that sense. And the... um in a way, like they, they're an example of that going from kind of music videos and, and moving in and out of that kind of really gritty kind of stuff that they've kind of got off the back of it. So you had, yeah. So I don't know. There's amazing adverts by, what do you call your man, Chris Cunningham and all those sort mm-hmm. of guys. Yeah. So moving on then to more specifically then beyond Harriet. Um, mm-hmm. how did that come about and what was the intention of making it? Otherwise, apart from obviously making a little bit of money out of it. Yeah, well, um, I guess the, in the same way that we approached, um, oh, well, the same way I approached Here to Fall in the sense that I kind of wanted to explore the idea of telling a story and, uh, not just being a piece of service work to kind of have a go at that and try it. Um, it was the same with Beyond Horizon. I just, uh, I, I actually really loved our type <laughs> when I was a kid and I kind of wanted to make, um, do you know what it was? Actually, it was the, um, and I think it is important is the entry point of these things. What changed was the, for, to get individual effects was the way that you could install software and kind of get, I don't know, uh, a license of After Effects really kind of it was affordable like and then I kind of saved up and I bought a license for a soft image and these things were doable but when I was at college to get a silicon graphics machine with soft image on it was like 20,000 quid and that was never going to happen and the what happened for me with the games thing and Beyond Wrath was that the Kickstarter campaign came out for um, the Oculus and I backed it and um, like one of the first backers on it and then when I received that it kind of was like oh make a game and do stuff like this and I thought well if I'm going to make one thing that I really want to make in (laughs) VR it was going to be R-Type and that's where and I started and then when we started that it was kind of like oh this feels a little bit like Star Fox used to love Star Fox Um, so it was kind of those two things were sort of coming together and then the then I was like, okay, I'm going to stick a narrative on this as well. And then I like, well, I'm a fan of sort of Tarkovsky films, love Solaris. And then I kind of wanted to do this sort of end. There was a great film that, um, that I was really enjoying called Beyond the Black Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a kind of like, oh, I want to make something that's kind of a bit like that and a bit like this Stargate scene in 2001 and a bit like Toscozzi Solaris and, and, and that's how the project kind of started that sort of enthusiasm. And then we went to basically 
sort of self-funded some ni screen support and stuff like that so that's that's where it came came about but that's the intention is to create a kind of at the end something that's kind of reminds people of Star Fox and our type and that kind of mash of those sort of things yeah no it's um i've been playing it sort of on and off um just on my phone and it's really well put together and yeah it definitely has that sort of feel of it's a more adult version of Star Fox, you know, it doesn't have obviously the sort of the graphics and what have you that were capable um, on the SNES and what have you. They've been upgraded. There's better textures and everything, and there's definitely a a deeper story um, sort of running in the background of it. Thanks, um, thanks. Yeah, um, so I've been really impressed with it. The game itself's been out for what a little over a month or so now. Yeah. Um, how has it been doing on the um, the storefronts and what have you on uh, the shops? Yeah, it seems to be doing well. Like this is the first thing that we've put out, so I wouldn't pretend to be an expert at this or 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 even experienced. So, mm. I, to be honest, for me, it's for me to say it's doing really well. It's obviously a subjective thing, and I mean that in the sense <laughs> that I didn't expect people to start randomly sending me emails asking when the next kind of uh, level is coming out and when and how much they loved it and how much it reminded them of Star Fox and and stuff like this. So, from that point of view, I'm kind of. I'm happy. I think there's loads wrong with it. And the whole point of um, releasing it in this way was that I kind of think only certain like money drives a lot of these things. And Mm -hmm. if you're going to make a game, you need a lot of money. And even an indie game takes a lot of time to raise money in that kind of sense. So for me, Beyond Arath was a way to kind of put something out there, see what people actually respond to and like, and then kind of start working and changing things. So for example, that we've kind of created a structure where it kind of goes bit of a movie, bit of gameplay, bit of a movie, get bit of gameplay, kind of straight, straightforward, knowable yeah. thing. And, but we might go back and change that first bit and upgrade it and make it a little bit nicer. And, and the intent is to make that bit happen in real time instead of it just being a kind of movie that you're watching. So it'll, we'll just basically build it build on it over the next number of months potentially years as well and like there's uh, Marta the main protagonist in this is do you know where it's supposed to kind of unfold like a bit like the the man with many faces in Game of Thrones where mm-hmm. uh, uh, Arya Stark is kind of going in and through all these kind of catacomb kind of things and taking her face off things and and she, she doesn't really know where she's going she's not really sure who, he's, who he is that's kind of in a way where Martha's kind of journey is going to go but like it'll all come down to funding time and when the next level come out but like the enthusiasm for it's never going to kind of die yeah oh very good what about then sort of pushing it on to vr platforms and things well it's on the vr platform but we unfortunately can't get it on the oculus store yet um and that there's two reasons for that it's one that it's our first time doing it uh, mm-hmm. the second is that um it's kind of a little bit harder than you would expect. And I think probably more experienced people would know this. But for example, we've got it running at 60 frames a second on the 7, on the S8. And, but we have to get it running at 60 frames a second on the Note 4. So mm-hmm. now we're going back and we're changing things to make sure that happens. What I'd love to do is be able to say, look, um, here's S7, here's S8 at the moment. It's not compatible with the Note 4 and get it out there. But that's not as far as I'm aware, possible, possible at the moment. Yeah. So although it's done and it's playable and enjoyable, it's actually the format it's made for. So it's actually the best on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to, we have to get it working on the, on this and get out on the store. And like, I'm hoping it will be up there in the next week or two. Oh, okay. Very good. What about controller support and things like that? Um, have you had many issues um, with that? Or um, I know the Gear VR um, sort of Oculus um, Touch is now available. Um, so is it compatible with that? Or is it just sort of normal um, joypads and things at the moment? I think it works best with a normal joypad. Um, I think that's because that's what it's built for. The mm-hmm. um, it's We use a thing called Rewired within mm-hmm. unity and it supports a like a, a lot of controllers um and kind of remaps it automatically for them and the it, it doesn't work with every single controller out there and we've had a couple of people contact say so i don't have the, it's not working with this particular controller 
Mm-hmm. And I basically, again, on a game like this where it's sort of self-funded or funded from the studio and it's service work, then all we'll all we can do is basically in the next update try and kind of fix things for people when they ask for it and yeah. kind of respect an audience but at the same time we don't have extremely deep pockets to make changes instantly and people mm. would have to be patient but like unless they want to send us some money to uh, their controller will do it that day <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that, to an extent i suppose with a lot of this it's always sort of a best endeavor of trying to sort of patch out um, all the sort of little niggles here and there whenever they come. Yeah, like, but, but it's like 99p, do you know what I mean? We're never going to get rich um, yeah. making, uh, selling Beyond Arath at 99p. It's there because we wanted to create a product and get it out there and understand what's involved in doing that. Mm-hmm. And they, they'd seem to, like, people like it, then fair enough. I've certainly gave more than 99p to, to <laughs> support people and try things, so like it's a quarter of a pint <laughs> yeah exactly um so then we'll move on to sort of just your general background and we'll have you with gaming and things like that so what sort of is your earliest sort of gaming memories and influences and things then dizzy uh codemasters dizzy spectrum uh very good but like uh that would be like the earliest i had the one two eight my mate had the 48 with the rubber keys and Hello, his look cooler. I should rewind this and stuff easier. So, yep. yeah, that's probably it. Um, and then uh, actually Enter Yes came out of uh, the name Enter Yes. Come, uh, it's basically for years, uh, like a, a, mate, a couple of mates, we used to play, I don't know, uh, Dizzy, Treasure Island Dizzy. And then there was Daily Thompson to Kathleen mm-hmm. on, the, on yep. his spectrum. And then and then another game called Granny's Garden. And for like, we had played Daily Thompson so often that the Y button on his keyboard didn't work anymore. And <laughs> we, uh, played what do you call it? Uh, Granny's Garden. And it was kind of a well, kind of role play, sort of like go up and meet the wizard up the mountain sort of thing, if mm-hmm. you know it. And, uh, the first question I asked you after you put the, um, after you loaded the tape was like, um, do you want to enter Granny's Garden? press Y and we could never kind of go because his Y <laughs> button didn't work anymore. And uh, years later, I think we were just in the house, like, I mean, like in, in our late teens uh, uh-huh. drinking beer or something. And we were talking about Granny's Garden and it was a time when emulators were kind of like, you, know, you could put on your computer and stuff. And I was like, yeah. well, let's try <laughs> Granny's Garden and actually press Yes, and when we loaded it, um, it asked, "Do you want to press yes or no?" And then somebody was like, "When did we ever press no?" And we're like, "No." And then somebody pressed the N key, and it was like, "Oh, don't be so, don't be a spoil sport or something like that." <laughs> Let's go in anyway. And I was like, "Oh, f- sake. you don't even need the, the Y key after all these years." But basically, I liked the idea of being asked to enter yes, and I was just thinking, what would it call a company if it was going down the more interactive route? And I kind of liked the idea of that sort of yeah. enter yes Sound, seem positive <laughs> i liked it so there you go i'm then moving on from the spectrum what have you um did you then move sort of into the consoles or sort of sticking with pc and computers um i kind of mixed the two as i went along but uh i think oh i would be i was a big kind of fan of the master system that's what i got next a lot of it a lot of these things come down to how, <laughs> how middle class your parents are um in that sense like some of my more kind of uh affluent friends had better systems and i used to go across and play their amiga and stuff like that and then i'd go yeah. home and play my crappy kind of spectrum that i still had and then um was gonna say the basically the master system and then from that um i made up the road had the nez and then that i was like oh i love mario i love playing mario in his house but i always had to go home and then next thing uh, was the i got the snares and other mates had the Mega Drive, and I was like, no, I love the SNES. Played yeah. Mario World. That was, I guess, it. <laughs> <laughs> and other things there. And then I really loved uh, Mortal Kombat at the time as well. And Game Gear. So I kind of I enjoyed the portable end as well. Like, that was the kind of mix. And then I think I had a 486. can't remember. A couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Um, 
Uh, I, had, I had enough of a life as well to blur all these memories. <laughs> I can't really remember. 486, I think. A tiny computer, was that what it's called? A tiny Pentium yeah, 2 tiny, or something yeah. as well? I can't remember. But yeah. What about then sort of current games and things? How much gaming time do you actually get? Which is probably not a lot. Um, yeah, not that, like I have two kids now, so I get to see games from a different perspective. And uh, so the Wii would be what they play and then if they're kind of lucky they get to play Skyrim or something like that (laughs) sort of ultra excited but once they spotted they were raiding people's cupboards for armor kind of I think uh, pushed them back onto the Wii Um, the the uh, yeah, I don't get uh, in fairness to play. <laughs> playing almost becomes research for other things now. In a way, mm-hmm. like another game that is um, basically uh, has just been picked up by a publisher. I'll probably talk about it more as well. And I can't really say a lot at the moment, but it's kind of this is England meets Double Dragon, and uh, it's oh. called at the moment it's called Children of Geometry. It's up on the site. You can kind of see a link to yeah. it. And it's very sort of London grime esque kind of. <laughs> Uh, thing, but it, 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 I'm trying to mash in a lot of the stuff that I learned on doing loads of BBC news round specials and all those sort of things where it looks at certain issues and then and kind of, and, and then you've got this kind of double dragon gameplay with this sort of stand by me, write a passage sort of thing with these yeah. kids. So that's the plan with it at the moment. But like, for example, with that, I played loads of games out there and other games I thought were really cool were things like Mother Russia Bleeds and stuff like this here that were oh, just like, yeah. we're, we're good crack, but like I didn't get to finish them or I didn't get to spend that much time playing them. And then Mortal Kombat X kind of I strangely enjoyed that. I wasn't expecting to and, <laughs> and did. Um, and then, uh, I guess another one my sons are maybe dip into Battlefront every now and again as in the Star Wars Battlefront yeah and uh, there's a bit of crack like but like I've spent very little time playing it to be fair mm-hmm. the price is just about right Mark what have you bought recently um, I've had a little bit of a splurge on um, indie games on the PS4. At some point last week, I was floating about in the store and noticed that uh, Wheels of Aurelia is uh, was I think it was two pound fifty. Yeah, I think it was on, dropped down um, to something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I've heard nothing but good things about that game. Mm. The premise is fairly interesting, sort sixties Italian road trip. Yep. So yeah, I picked that up for two pound fifty. And then on Saturday I spent for uh just under ten pounds I picked up How to Full Boyfriend uh Virginia and Video Ball. Um mm. Video Ball's sort of like um God, how do I describe it? It's kind of like a football game but you mm-hmm. you control uh, a little triangle that shoots other little triangles that you then you use to either tackle the other triangles or to shoot the ball it sounds <laughs> if you try and explain it just watching youtube videos it looks really fun um virginia is why well, everyone knows what virginia is it's a, a sort of um not walking simulator but like narrative what do you call them Stu? Um, You're good with words. They're, they're, they're an interactive narrative experience. Yes, yes, exactly that. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're supposed to be very good. Uh, I've have tried to listen to as little about it as possible because it's very easy to spoil it. So I don't know oh, okay. anything about the story um, deliberately. So I'm looking forward to playing that. And then mm. How to Fall Boyfriend, I just picked up um, because deep down i think we all have a fantasy about being a desirable young <laughs> japanese woman in a school full of pigeons so um yeah devolver digital with another crazy game a pigeon dating simulator uh but uh, yeah that's all i picked up so i spent about 12 pound 50 in total and got four games which is not bad that's not bad at all no definitely mm. not chris have you picked anything up recently uh, actually, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Sinmora, 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 yeah, Sinmora. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. that. It's enjoyed a it. yeah, it's a really good um two D shooting up sort of with sort of mm. time mechanic built into it. Um, yeah, yeah. But it had been out for a good long while, but I think because THQ um, went bankrupt and then THQ Nordic um came out of the sort of the ashes of it. Um, I think they have now looked at some of their old IPs and are starting to now bring them up and releasing them on this generation of consoles. So there's Cinemora, which I think they're calling Cinemora X, and there's 
um, The Blob, and I think <laughs> a couple of other ones as well. Um, are all starting now to appear um, on this generation of consoles, which is good to see because they're all really strong games. Yeah. Um, that's good to see that people are actually going to get that experience as opposed to with THQ dying, the IPs basically disappearing. Um, so at least they're being brought up. Uh, is that all that you've picked up? Um, oh, let me think. What else have I picked up lately? <laughs> like a, a Genesis collection pack or something on Steam. <laughs> it's one of the other things. Uh, I think it was, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the last one. <laughs> Echo the Dolphin. Um, <laughs> oh, there's some good games in those packs, though. So there is, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was good. I enjoy it. I love the whole Steam thing. I love the fact that it's all catalogued is there and it sort of stays with you and then kind of from time to time. But they're the two that I think of picked up recently yeah more recently yeah i surprisingly haven't bought any games this week although i see there's a new humble mobile bundle <laughs> out which is interesting i think it's it's five pounds and there's what seven or eight games if not more and more to come probably mm-hmm. um so i will i'll think about that one uh, the only thing that i have actually picked up this week was i was in poundland and they had halo nightfall uh, which is obviously a film based in the Halo universe, so it was a pound on Blu-ray. Hmm. I haven't watched it yet. I don't necessarily have very high hopes for it because, firstly, it's based on a game, and um, unless you're actually following along with any of the stories and everything, it's probably not necessarily very good, but you do get the odd <laughs> little change well, out of them. I'm not the biggest Halo fan. Um, I'm a huge Destiny fan, but hmm. I, I am will be you know the first to admit that Bungie cannot write a coherent or good story to save their <laughs> lives uh, but I watched um, Halo Ford Unto Dawn the uh-huh. live action mini series has kind of got squeezed into a film um, mm-hmm. a while ago and I really enjoyed that so yeah, okay. it's not always bad yeah, I'll be going into Halo Nightfall just completely blind not really knowing an awful lot about the lore of Halo other than there's Master Chief, which is a guy with an awful lot of armor. Yes. And that, that's about it. That's <laughs> so it. He, he shoots aliens. Yeah. That's all you need to know. There's an awful <laughs> lot of shooting aliens, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll probably report back on that at some stage whenever I finally get around to watching it. On to recently played then. Chris, is there anything that you have recently played? Uh, recently played, um, oh, but other than the ones I was chatting about there, as in dipping in and out of, um, Battlefront and, uh, actually Double Dragon recently, um, no. How were you playing Double Dragon? Uh, on a, on the Steam, uh, emulator thing. It's like Double Dragon, oh, okay. kind of, you get two of them and it's sort of like one sort of download. Do you know what actually it was playing? It's a few, um, VR games, uh, Robo Recall. I bought that actually and was playing it, and oh. uh, I kind of liked it. Uh, is it um, as in Gear VR or is it one no, of the CV, CV1? Um, it's out for the CV1. Was okay. playing that. Um, I just totally forgot about these ones, but then the Climb as well. I got that. It was enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of really liked that. It's a sort of sort of. Uh, it's not passive, but it's not exactly action-packed, but it's sort of a fun experience. And then uh, Robinson's Journey. I would die to play Robinson's Journey. Um, I'd mm. seen it when I was in GDC, and there was a queue, queue for <laughs> weeks, and I, I I didn't have time because I had meetings to go to to play it. And I had been dying for it to come out on the CV1. Mm-hmm. And I bought, bought it and really didn't like it. And kind of oh, okay. got bored within four seconds or something. It, it didn't work for me at all. Uh-huh. But I bought that as well and played it recently. Okay. Um, for myself then, I've just got a couple of quick ones. Um, I finished Space Plan on the PC um, after having finished it twice on iOS. It's a fantastic clicker. I was talking about it last week um, <laughs> as well. It's it it's a clicker that actually has a narrative running through it, and you've got a problem, man. You you've got to admit that you've got a problem. I know. I, I know. <laughs> can't stop playing these clicker games have you, have you tried uh, Adventure Capitalist 
No, I haven't. All right, no. okay. You uh, you have mentioned it enough that I don't necessarily want to. <laughs> no, I don't. Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So yeah, I finished that off. I also finished Chronology, um, which was released by Bedtime Digital Games, which we had on the show, um, two weeks ago. That's another lovely little um. It feels like a sort of a 16-bit almost um, 2D platform puzzler. Um, relatively short, but it's it just works so well and is uh, very nice to play. The other games that I've then been playing this week are I put half an hour into The Witness um, earlier this week. Now, I might be starting to regret that because half an hour <laughs> is a tiny, tiny smidge of the gameplay um, <sighs> involved in that game. Um, from what I can tell, and going by the sort of timings on how long to beat, it is at least 18 hours, um, with, depending on who you're listening to, I think I was watching a quick YouTube video um, review of um, of it from IGN, and they were looking at possibly somewhere in between 60 to possibly 100 hours. Oh, yeah, I'd say from what I've seen of it, depending on your capacity for solving incredibly cryptic puzzles. Yes, and yeah, the the game basically resolve, revolves around um, solving these very cryptic line puzzles. Um, it's so well put together, though. Um, mm. For any other puzzle game, if it had been either a PC game or a mobile game, it literally the game would have been the puzzles, and that would have been it. You would have done one, moved on to the next one, you know, done that one, and just kept going that way. But what Jonathan Blow has done with The Witness is fantastic because all of these puzzles are interlinked around this one big island that you're on, um, which there is a story there explaining why the island is currently uninhabited and trying to figure out what you need to do on the island to reveal more of the story. Um, it's beautiful as well, and the whole thing has just been really well realised. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely going to be a massive time sink, I think. And just one that will maybe come back to every now and again, um, depending on how, <laughs> how much those blind puzzles get stuck in my head and uh, <laughs> seeing them whenever I'm sleeping and things like that. But really, uh, that half hour was definitely a really good taster of it. And, uh, mm. it's definitely one that I'll be going back to. The other game then was Dream Break, um, which is a, it's, I want to say it's flashback, or at least has very, very strong <laughs> vibes of flashback, um, but is based in Russia. Um, it doesn't necessarily have the sort of lushly, um, uh, sort of drawn backgrounds and things like that, but it's a very industrial, um, sort of feeling game, um, that you play as Eugene, and who is basically just a bar worker, but through bad timing or bad luck, um, suddenly gets involved in the resistance um, within Russia and there's murders and things and you progress through the game. It's I was thoroughly impressed by it and as I say, just because of the mechanics and the look and feel um, of Flashback, it was definitely giving me uh, really sort of old school retro vibes and uh, it was thoroughly enjoyable. It, the game itself isn't necessarily too long. Um, probably um, maybe two, three hours-ish. Um, or thereabouts, and I was quite enthralled by it. Um, it's got a sort of decent story. There's enough sort of mystery and things like that. There's a couple of little platform puzzles and things. Um, so very, very good. For my lapse gamer recommendation, I would probably say Dream Break purely because the running time is probably a little bit shorter. Mm. And for those old enough to remember and uh, have a fondness of. Um, flashback, it definitely has those old school vibes with oh, us. I remember Flashback. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I think the Kin and Rince actually have a, a new episode out on Flashback, so I think I'll have to give that a, a little bit of a listen to. And there was that other one. Um, there's another one that had a similar sort of art style they never played uh, called Another World. Yeah, that was the sort of precursor. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. So it was. Um, it's actually the version that is now available on most platforms for Another World is, it's a bit like what they did with the Secret of Monkey Island, as in they've updated the graphics and what have you, but the gameplay is basically the same. Okay. Um, so you can actually flick between the old style graphics and the sort of slightly newer, uh, mm. nuanced, um, smoother graphics and everything. It's not quite, <laughs> yeah, it, the gameplay is maybe a little, less forgiving um than it is in flashback and like flashback's difficult enough with the gameplay um yeah but it's not quite as 
ridiculously hard as something like Dragon's Lair, but it, I think Another World kind of it's on that sort of balance in between uh, Dragon's Lair and Flashback, and it's well worth having a look at. Um, definitely from even just from a historical standpoint, um, mm. because it has definitely had some influence on the games going forward and things like that. Mark, what about yourself? What have you been playing? Uh, well, first of all, I'm still playing Puyo Puyo Tetris, still <laughs> hopelessly addicted to Puyo Puyo Tetris. Um, I've been chipping away at the the story mode, which is the story is just ridiculous. It's uh, a tear in the space time continuum, or something happens, and the people from the Puyo Puyo world get sucked through into the into the Tetris world, <laughs> and they just don't understand each other. And there's lots of of shouting and ridiculousness, and then battles of Tetris v Tetris or Tetris v Puyo Puyo or vice versa. Uh, I've been trying still to play some of it online, um, mm-hmm. but there is no skill based matchmaking, mm-hmm. and it seems that the everybody who plays it online is very good at the game uh and i'm i'm i can hold my own at tetris i'm pretty good at tetris uh mm. but i'm garbage at puyo puyo and you don't get to choose beforehand what you're going to play it assigns it randomly because you're playing it on the switch have you been playing it um sort of as a portable then uh yes yeah, sometimes portable sometimes on the tv like i've been playing quite a lot of um versus with uh, my girlfriend or uh us teaming up uh, against the the AI and trying to do that on the little screen is a little bit difficult. So I've been mm. playing when we're playing co-op. We've been uh, uh, playing it on the TV. Oh, okay. um, that's really fun. We've been enjoying the, the. There's a particular mode called um, Fusion where you're playing Puyo Puyo and Tetris on the same board at the same time, and like oh. the Tetraminos just sink to the bottom uh, with the Puyo Puyos on top, and so you're playing two games on the same board at the same time, uh, and mm. it's really really fun um that game's still too expensive for what it is probably on the on the the switch it's a good 15 pounds more than you can pick it up on uh you can pick it up 20 or so on the ps4 yeah and it's like 35 on this i don't know how much is physically on the switch even if it's available Mm -hmm. physically on switch but it's like 35 to download but um There is a hell of a lot in there. There's loads and loads of different game modes. The online is robust, if punishingly difficult. The co-op's great. Apparently, there's hundreds of of um, uh, missions in the story mode. You can still go and just play like endless Puyo Puyo or endless Tetris. Um, you know, in old school way, if you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, still good. Yeah. Um, next up, uh, another game actually I bought recently. I forgot to mention in uh, the price just about right. I picked up uh, End Space on uh, the Gear VR because uh, I was looking for I was looking for something different on there to to play, uh, and I spotted that for a reasonably cheap price. Um, and I hadn't played any sort of like flight sim combat games mm. on there I, I did see one that was advertised that was um a world war Two shooter but the reviews were not particularly good and no. i thought that that might i i don't get too motion sick in vr playing mm-hmm. minecraft can make me feel a bit queasy oh, okay. uh, playing that in gear vr sometimes uh, if you're not pl- doing if you're, if you're doing the like the not moving by increments but you're like the actual smooth movement yeah. you can sometimes make me feel a little bit funny and i was a bit worried about playing and uh, playing like a flight sim that was on where you can actually see the ground mm. uh so i opted for this this space sim it's yeah it's it's an un- fairly unremarkable space shooter with a fairly unremarkable story, there's <laughs> bad guys go out into space and shoot them, but mm. it's just it's just quite well polished uh, and looks nice. And you can you got full control over the ship with the controller, and then you aim the the guns with your well, with your face. Mm. Um, uh, I've only played a few levels, but yeah, it feels quite good to play. Uh, okay, it's quite short burst as well. Um. Next up, I tried Paladins because it's been added on uh, free-to-play. It's a free-to-play game, but the beta, open beta has been added onto the PS4. So I thought I'd try it out because I'd heard lots of uh, harumphing about this game because <laughs> it's by um, High res Studios who did a game called um, Smite, which is mm-hmm. a, a free-to-play MOBA, and I think they made some other games as well. But I don't know, can't remember what they were. Um 
This was a hero shooter sort of game that they announced before Overwatch was announced. Um, however, since Overwatch was announced, uh, uh, Paladins has gone under a uh, process of Overwatchification. If you <laughs> that word, in that there are a lot of characters in that game that are straight up. They're not. They don't look the same as the characters do in um, Overwatch, with one exception. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they basically perform the same sort of functions. So in Overwatch, you've got a character called Reinhardt, who is a big German tank guy in sort of like quasi-medieval armor, mm-hmm. who's got a short-range attack and an energy shield. And in uh, Paladins, there's a character called Fernando, who's a Spanish guy in a sort of quasi-medieval armor, who's got a short-range attack and a big power shield. <laughs> and in um, Overwatch, there's a character called Torbjorn, who's like a a Swedish dwarf guy um, mm. who has a gun that fires molten rivets and uh, can put down a turret and then in Paladins is a character called Barrack who's a sort of dwarf character who's got a shotgun that fires molten rivets <laughs> and he can put down turrets and so on and so forth um, it's not a complete rip off uh, it's some of the it's not like it's weird it's, hard, it's kind of hard to explain it does different things mm-hmm. um, it's got more MOBA uh, elements in there than something like Overwatch does, and it's free to play. Whereas Overwatch is a full price game, uh, and it's got like card systems and things like that. And there are a lot of characters in there that bear no resemblance to anything in Overwatch. But it's always going to be known as that game that kind of rips off Overwatch, which is yeah. a bit of a shame. But I've been playing. I've played about five or six hours over the last, you know, two or three weeks or whatever. On um, and it's it's quite enjoyable. It's just not, it doesn't play, it's just, it's, um, the only reason I'm playing it is because it's new. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't play anywhere near as well as Overwatch. So, yeah. I think I'll stick with Overwatch. No, understandably. Uh, Overwatch is Blizzard, after all. They are very, very good at what they do. Exactly. And speaking of Blizzard, um, after our conversation uh, the other week with, uh, with Jonas um, about. MOBAs and specifically Heroes of the Storm mm-hmm. uh, and having plenty of other people recommend it's like if you've ever been interested in getting into MOBAs and have never played one download Heroes of the Storm because it's really easy to play um, so I downloaded Heroes of the Storm and it is really easy to play uh, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of teaches you the basics of uh, a MOBA which I'm not going to go into here because it's a lot of jargon that um, you need to learn what various words mean um, and how to play MOBAs from the very basics but it's like yeah. uh, it's more user friendly there's not like you don't um, so you know basically in a MOBA you, you start with a character at the beginning at level 1 mm-hmm. and then as in, in the match you always start at level 1 in the match and as you go through the level your characters level up mm-hmm. uh, and you unlock, unlock abilities in things like uh, Dota and um, League of Legends you have to you I could get an in-game currency in the matches, which you then spend to, uh, used to spend on items, and there's loads of different items, and buying the right item can be the difference between winning or losing, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And uh, you only win, you only get XP for the enemies that you get the final hit on, and stuff like that. Uh, Here's the storm. Just simplifies all of that. It's like XP is shared across the entire team. There are no items. There are no cards or anything like that. When you level up, you get to choose between a, a number of perks, which will uh, accentuate one of your powers, which also unlock over the period of a, of a match. Um, and it means that there, uh, no one, uh, not only well, like they'll still award like an MVP rating to someone at the end of the match who has done particularly well. But if you are doing particularly badly in a match because you're not the greatest. Uh, um, uh, a MOBA, you're not going to bring your team down and you're not going to stand out as being bad, mm. which is kind of good, which I, I like. The Blizzard does this with their multiplayer games. They do it a lot with Overwatch as well. It's like there's no, you can't look, you can't bring up a, a, a score a scorecard during the middle of an Overwatch match and see how many kills or deaths somebody's got. It does, yeah. it completely hides that stuff. At the end of the match, you can see your stats and nobody else can see them and vice versa because it mm. doesn't, you don't want people ragging on you for for sucking, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I do uh, a lot of these games. Um, 
yeah here's the storm it's, it's a you know it's a really good um simple but still deep moba mm-hmm. uh backed up with a wealth of very recognizable blizzard characters from across world of warcraft starcraft uh diablo and, and overwatch so yeah. i've been really enjoying that um well, i was gonna say you're playing that on your macbook aren't you i've been playing on my macbook yes and how's, it, how's it running i've turned everything down to the lowest setting oh okay Right. Um, so it doesn't look particularly nice. Mm-hmm. It looks fine. It just doesn't look as shiny as it does on, on you know, on a proper gaming PC. Yeah. Uh, but getting it, putting it down on the lowest settings means that I've been getting like 90 frames a second out of it. Oh, well, that's good. So it yeah. plays incredibly smoothly. It just doesn't look particularly amazing. Um, at the, you know, while you're playing it. Yeah. Uh, plus the uh, unexpected upside to the fact that it doesn't look great when running on my Mac because I've got no intention of spending any money on skins because they'll look <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then off the back of that, I've uh, gone back and started playing or started playing, sunk a ridiculous amount of time in uh, over the last couple of weeks with my <laughs> girlfriend, uh, Paragon on PS4, which I played a, a while ago without really knowing what it was and just dismissed it as being because i didn't know what it was mm-hmm. or how to play it um paragon is another moba but it's more um a console friendly uh it's a sort of over the shoulder third person uh sort of moba um it's a more traditional in the sense that uh, players earn xp individually uh and you have you don't have items but you have like cards um mm-hmm. and you a- assign a deck of card for a different character at the beginning of a match and then you earn card points during the match and then you spend to accentuate different abilities like increasing mana or health regen or life steal or critical hit chance or whatever um so Having picked up the very basics of playing a MOBA with uh, Here is the Storm, it's been quite nice to jump into something a little bit more complicated with Paragon. Um, Paragon's a little more generous as well than some of the other MOBAs in that you don't... Um, almost every other MOBA will have like a rotation of free-to-play characters, which then you can play for a bit, uh, and then you have to pay the in-game currency to unlock. Mm-hmm. Um, in Paragon, every character is available to play for free. The only gate is that it won't let you play the more complicated characters at first um, mm-hmm. simply because if you jump into a game with one of those and don't know what you're doing, you're going to end up ruining the game for your team. Yeah. Uh, but apart from that, it's it's the only thing you spend money on is skins, um, mm-hmm. which I'm really not bothered about, so I haven't spent any money on the game. <laughs> uh, I might chip in some money at some point in the future because I'm enjoying it. But yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's Epic Games, so it's running on the uh, Unreal Engine and it looks very, very shiny. Mm-hmm. I will say that if you are a lapsed gamer and have constraints on time, mm-hmm. do not even think about downloading either Heroes of the Storm or Paragon or any other MOBA because <laughs> they are a colossal time sink. And although Heroes of the Storm, you can get through a match in 20 minutes easily. Uh, in yeah. Paragon, matches can last up to an hour. Ooh. So yeah. there is a significant yeah, time uh, a commitment. So if you're a lapsed game, if you have any constraints on time, just stay away from them. Um, Paladins... Just get Overwatch, it's better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get Puyo Puyo Tetris. It's it's on pretty much everything. It's amazing. <laughs> it's definitely a good recommendation. I love it. It's so good. Okay. Right, Chris, this is the part of the show where we would normally do shout-outs and things, but um, for each of the developers and things that we've had on doing interviews, we open it up for you to do as much self-promotion as you like. Um, so go ahead. <laughs> okay, um, I guess self-promotion in the sense that uh, we're really excited to get Beyond the Wrath out there and... I think everybody that um, likes that kind of genre should stay tuned because it's only going to get better and kind of as the levels grow, we'll kind of update the previous levels and anybody that invests in the game um, essentially or purchases it will get all the stuff as a free update anyway. So we're really keen on just improving it. Is that coming to the oculus store for gear vr it's good um it is coming for to the oculus store for gear vr and for cv1 both those versions we kind of set it up in unity where we can uh, basically spit it out for four five actually platforms at the same time so we have the 
The Google Play was the first place it went up because um, it's super easy to do that and get it up there. And then mm-hmm. um, the Apple version, iOS version, is done and is waiting for uh, to be kind of, what do you call that, processed to be on the store. Um, but it's all submitted. Uh, CV1 and Oculus are as in Gear VR and CV1 are up there waiting for approval as well um, to go on. I'd say Gear VR might lag behind CV1 because we might need to optimize certain things for the mm. for the Note 4 opposed to the 7 or the 8. And yeah. then the last is PC standalone version. It's actually great crack as well, so we'll push that out somewhere um, as soon as we can. But um, essentially, each of these, um, it, it, it kind of, we can spit it out with the different level of details. So one for Gear VR, we have all the assets at a hundred thousand. And then, um, for the standalone or the CV one, it's up in millions. So, and it looks fantastic. So basically, um, I guess keep it up to you. Keep, uh, keep posted with our stuff. We're kind of super new. We're not arrogant in that sense. So we'll make loads of mistakes on Beyond Orioth. And then we have another project called, which is essentially like, um, as I was saying, Double Dragon meets This is England that we mm-hmm. have, um, a publisher on that. So that'll be a much bigger game later in the year or probably a year and a half before that gets out there. But I can't really talk about that one yet, but it's really exciting and good fun to play. Oh, there's. Yeah, there's enough of the video footage for that, um, at least up on the website, that certainly makes it look very impressive. Yeah, and um, we have one um, very, 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 very experienced games designer that's joined the project. It was actually recommended by the publisher um, to kind of see if they would join and kind of help us kind of step it up a level. And uh, in fact, today he kind of confirmed he's on the project. Mm-hmm. And he's got a, um, a another amazing game coming out on the PS4 very soon. So it was perfect kind of timing. And like, I'm super, super excited about our kind of future within the kind of game space. And um, I'm kind of grateful to be doing it. It's good fun. Yeah. Excellent. Chris, thank you very much um, for coming on and uh, being on the show tonight and just talking about um all of the work that you've done and are currently working on things. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. No worries. Thank you guys for giving me the airtime. It's amazing. Appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> we are still just a little podcast that um, we, we enjoy doing, um, but it's really nice to be able to get people from the um, the, the industry um, to actually come on and talk to us. Uh, so it's, it's always a real pleasure um, actually getting sort of just the views and uh, hearing about what people are working on um, within the industry. Uh, so thank you very much uh, Mark as always thank you very much for coming on yeah, it's always a pleasure always <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much everybody for listening and goodbye ta bye <laughs>